This is Bike Talk. We're podcast on kpfk.org in Los Angeles, and we air on Valley Free Radio in Florence, Massachusetts. In this episode, Chicago Streets blog editor John Greenfield interviewed University of Illinois Chicago researchers who found that the city's red light and speed cameras prevented severe and fatal injuries. The researchers also found economic, racial, and ethnic disparities in who the cameras recorded breaking traffic laws. All right. Well, thanks for joining me. I'm here with Stacy Sutton and Nebu Tillahoon from UIC. They're, they're uh, professors at the University of Illinois at Chicago. And they recently completed a study on Chicago's speed camera and traffic and red light camera program, automated enforcement. Uh, the study focused on the, uh, you know, how effective the speed cameras are for improving safety and also looked at the entire program, including red lights, to determine if there were any uh, equity issues that came up. And so you folks basically had two main findings, which is that A, the cameras, the speed cameras seem to be doing a pretty good job at improving safety. You found that uh, 204 injury and fatality crashes were probably prevented that's, that's what you estimated by the speed cameras. But you also found large ethnic and racial disparities in who's getting the tickets, um, finding that uh, motorists from Latino and black neighborhoods are disproportionately getting ticketed by the cameras. Um, so my understanding is that you folks um, were already researching this topic when you had preliminary findings that there were racial and ethnic disparities, and then you alerted the city of Chicago about it, and the city uh, recruited you to do a report for them. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Um, I would just kind of modify that slightly in the sense that I didn't, I don't think we alerted the city intentionally. We presented our preliminary findings at um, a forum uh, that was organized by equiticity and kind of transit mobility folks. And the city happened to be in the audience, the commissioner of um, transportation and uh, approached us and asked us if we wanted to kind of do a more in-depth study with more granular data. Because at that point we were working with um, the camera and ticket data at the zip code level. And they asked us if we wanted to work with it at the ticket level and address mm -hmm. And the reason you folks focused on speed cameras in terms of checking out uh, whether or not they're effective for improving safety is that there was an earlier study, I think from 2017 uh, from Northwestern that looked at red light cameras and they found that, they're, that they are effective for preventing crashes, um, serious crashes that is. Let me just throw a few stats out here for um, people who are joining, people who are listening in. So the 2017 report from Northwestern University concluded that there was an overall 10% drop in injury crashes with a 19% reduction in particularly dangerous T-bone and or turning collisions. And they also found a spillover effect with the cameras resulting in less red light running at intersections that don't have cams. And then uh, you folks found that um, you want to just outline in a few, 
few sentences what your findings were in terms of the benefits of speed cameras for safety? Um, yeah, so uh, as you indicated, yeah, our overall finding is that um, uh, fatality and injury crashes um, were reduced across all of the uh, across the locations that we looked at. We looked at 102 locations, um, and we estimated um, like fatality and severe injury crashes. Where you know there were 36 fewer. Uh, fatality and uh, severe injury crashes. Uh, we're looking at the three-year period from 2015 through 2017. Um, 68 fewer uh, moderate injury crashes and uh, about 100 fewer uh, severe injury crashes. Uh, so uh, so overall, uh, that added up to 204 uh, fewer crashes. But um, you know something else that we also found is that not all of the camera locations are leading to a reduction in this injury or uh, fatality crashes. Uh, you know, in a few locations, uh, the number of crashes actually went up. Uh, but on aggregate, the cameras the cameras seem to be um, having a, a safety improvement. You said that um, seventy percent of the locations there seem to be a safety improvement. So obviously, that leaves. 30% that need, we need to revisit and figure out whether those cameras will be better deployed elsewhere. Um, now, when you say that the crashes went up at some locations, the city of Chicago put out a report recently, according to state law, they're, they're required to provide updates. And so a recent analysis that compared crash data from 2012 to 13, which is before CDOT installed the speed cameras, um, compared that with 2018, 2019, and they found that while the serious injury and the serious the number of serious injury and fatal crashes increased by 21% citywide during that period, the increase was only 2% in the eighth mile zones around the cameras. Um, they also found that speed related crashes spiked by 64% citywide during this period, and only went up by 18% in camera zones. So, when you say that crashes increased at some of the speed camera locations. Um, did you compare that to the citywide level of traffic crash increase during that time? I mean, what basically the argument CDOT was making in their report is, yeah, overall crashes did go up a little bit at speed camera locations, but much less than the rest of the city. So therefore they argue that the speed cameras prevented there from being a more severe increase in the number of crashes in those safety zones around speed cameras. So are you talking about um, like there were major changes in the number of crashes at some of the locations or just were they uh, a couple percentage points? Um, well, I, you know, just to clarify on some of the, the, the findings that 70% figure, right? So, so with each of, so we look at every instrumented location and look at you know how, you know how many crashes would have been expected had it not been treated with the camera and compare it against what actually happened um, and um, so you'd have an estimate number right it's either positive or negative and then you have some um, you know you can draw like a confidence interval as to how much of you know how big of a change that is mm -hmm. right so statistically speaking um, and in fact, if you like, if 
you set your criteria at say a reduction of one standard deviation or more, like there are fewer places that had that large of an improvement. So in, you know, in many places, you know, uh, about half the cameras had a reduction that's, you know, more than one standard deviation from what would have been expected. Uh, but the other, in many other places, you know, you're within that one standard deviation of what would have been expected. It's still a reduction, but not a very large one. Mm-hmm. And then there are this few number of crashes where crashes increased. So in, you know, so depending on where you set your threshold, meaning how how confident you want to be in the improvement, um, you know you can uh, draw. So there's more nuance to to, to that seventy one percent number, and then when the final report comes out, you can you know you can see um, how how that looks. And and we left it that way because we want to we wanted the city to decide what that threshold is. Like do you want do you want to be seventy percent confident that uh, these cameras are saving lives? 60%, 90%. So depending on where you cut, put that threshold, those effectiveness numbers uh, would uh, would be different. Um, and for your second question uh, about um, um, our, our approach, you know, there might be uh, you know, methodological differences in terms of what the city did and what we did. Um, the way we approached it is um, we looked at every the treated locations and based on how other locations that could have been treated, so other safety zones, based on what happened at those uh, at them, we made an estimate of how many crashes would have been uh, would have occurred, and that mm-hmm. estimate actually includes not only what would have happened if they were not treated, but also looks at uh, the pre- the prior uh, crash history of those lo- uh, of the treated locations, and then. It, you know, the estimate is specific to uh, every treated uh, every treated location, but it does take into consideration what has happened um, across other safety zones that did not get a, get a camera. Okay, thanks for clarifying that. Um, let's take a look at some of your recommendations for improving safety at at camera locations, um, and then we'll move on to discuss the the racial and ethnic disparities. So um, from your list of recommendations regarding the camera locations, you said analyze red light cameras proximate to freeways, particularly examine the types of movements generating tickets in these locations and set fines to reflect severity risk of harm from movement. Um, You also said examine processes that led to differences in the choice to install school or park safety uh, safety zone speed cameras, given the apparent differences in majority Latino versus other areas across Chicago. So in your report, you mentioned that Latino neighborhoods were a lot more likely to have their speed cameras in school zones rather than park zones. And those cameras tend to generate fewer tickets because the cameras are only on, they're only issuing tickets during school hours or park hours. And the parks are only closed from like 11 p.m. to 6 a.m., where I mean, whereas the the schools have shorter hours, so therefore, um, cameras near schools issue more tickets. So um, anyway, so that was that was uh, that's something needs needs to be looked at. And let's just back up Re- regarding the red light camera locations. You found that um, red light cameras issue more, tend to issue more tickets if they're located by expressway access ramps, right? 
And what's your theory about why that is? Um, well, you know, I, I think uh, just to uh, sort of explain how we, we came up with uh, uh, investigating the cameras that were proximate to uh, the, the freeways. So we were looking on Google Maps and just taking uh, uh, images of each of the locations and then looking at the top 15 locations and all of them it turned out had a, an expressway right next to them. So you know that's how we started exploring. Uh, maybe there's something going on here. Um, uh, you know about proximity to freeways that's leading you know that's leading to uh, higher levels of ticketing and of course when we investigated um, you know even though they you know these cameras make about what 12 percent or so of uh, all uh, of the red light cameras they were issuing about a third of uh, the tickets um, so I you know I, we don't know for sure why uh, uh, you know, this large number of tickets are being issued there, but I think, you know, we can say, we can guess that it's probably because there's a lot of volume in those locations, a lot of people making different types of movements. Um, and, you know, I would imagine many tickets uh, might be the type where people are making a right turn on red, um, you know, maybe not make coming to a full stop, but sort of slowing down the turning or not slowing down and turning right mm -hmm. onto, uh, onto ramps. Um, um, actually, I think uh, from discussions with the city, they do have data on which lane people were in when they were uh, ticketed. We, you know, we found this out uh, later in the study, so we didn't look at it, but it's something that could probably be explored. But um, I think it's a combination of the number of uh, vehicles that are probably trying to make different movement types of uh, turns and movements at those um, locations and uh, and probably a, a lot of it might have to do with people sort of turning right and getting onto uh, this access ramps. All right, thanks for explaining that. And then there was there was a racial disparity issue, possibly an equity issue related to that. And we'll, we'll get back to that in a minute. Um, so just to go over the rest of your recommendations for making the speed cameras function better, um, he said, regarding the safety impacts, reevaluate methodology for camera placement and make the process transparent. Justify placement of, of cameras with local speed studies. Uh, reassess camera locations that have not improved safety outcomes or where worsening crash records have been observed. So that's like the 30% the of not effective camera locations we were talking about. Um, decommission or relocate cameras when found ineffective. All right, so let's move on and talk about some of the racial disparity, possibly equity issues that you folks uncovered in terms of how the cameras themselves function. Um, so we were talking about the red, how red light cameras issue um, proportionally more tickets. So uh, as, you, as you kind of said earlier, you found that while red light cameras located within 350 feet of an expressway, um, make up only about 13% of the red light cameras citywide. They issued 31% of all stoplight citations. And then in addition, red light cameras near expressways accounted for 21% of red light cameras in black communities. So 
so red light cameras near expressways are the ones that issue the most tickets or capture the most violations. And black neighborhoods have a disproportionate number of red light cameras near expressways. Um, so is there any way like, do you folks see that as an open-ended stat or, I mean, does that, do, do you think that proves that there's an inequity going on or is it possible that it's just a correlation? What's, what was your interpretation of that stat? Want to do that? I mean, I, I think it's uh, I think it's it's complicated. So it's it's I don't think we're trying to make any causal argument. I think we, it is a correlation, um, but the disproportionate number of cameras in uh, black areas, and those tend to be the cameras that are kind of most prolific, I guess, in terms of giving tickets. Is 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 a question that you know we we want to explore further. I think it it did point to um, need for more information about the movements around those cameras, right? And we don't know exactly who's getting those tickets. Mm -hmm. uh, we just know that uh, you know the the attributes of the the neighborhood in which those cameras are located. Um, uh, what else? What else would you add to that? Um, um, yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, yeah, you know, the numbers, I think, speak for themselves that, that there is a higher proportion of these cameras in uh, majority black areas. Uh, like it could be because of sort of the type of um, roadways that are there, maybe the, uh, 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 and, and where the traffic is and, you know, the uh, and perhaps those locations might, might have been instrumented because there were um, higher number of crashes uh, um, uh, crashes in those locations. But I think it's still worth looking at, you know, which types of movements are generating this uh, these tickets, um, because, especially since that, that data is available. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can make a determination on whether or not really are they contributing um, to, to, to the safety of these particular intersections. All right, so one of the things you found you know, a, an argument people often make against Chicago's automated enforcement programs is they, they say the cameras are concentrated in low-income neighborhoods and in communities of color. You found that was not the case, at least, at least in terms of race. You said that um, you said that you did not find that that black and Latino neighborhoods were any more likely than other neighborhoods to have, uh, you know, they didn't have a higher percentage of, they didn't have a higher number of cameras proportionally, um, but you did find some discrepancies like the red light camera thing we just talked about. Um, tell me about the racial disparities you found in terms of who was receiving tickets. So, I mean, overall the, um, Major drivers from majority black neighborhoods um, receive a disproportionate number of tickets, right? And and so that's that's pretty apparent. But then there's a question of where are they getting these tickets? Um, and you know what we aren't able or we haven't been able to do is fully explain that disparity, right? Mm -hmm. 
And we think there is something in uh, that, that warrants further exploration in terms of uh, both where they're getting it and what are the kind of driving behaviors in terms of, are they, um, is it kind of a, you know, a, a kind of a, a slow, what is that called in traffic lingo? Uh, not, not rather than a, a kind of a, a high risk behavior or is it something in which they're kind of a rolling through a right turn and not fully stopping, right? So those, the fact that that information is available warrants, uh, you know, further explanation because then you can put that into a model and, and really look at, um, you know, not just the counts, the number of tickets that are given, but what are some of the behaviors of, of uh, that might explain some of that. We didn't do that because we didn't have that data yet. Um, I don't know what else to say about the fact that there is, yeah, absolutely, we see a larger percentage of tickets um, going to neighborhoods that are majority Black then majority uh, Latinx, and then uh, majority white. So uh, what I'm getting here is the overall overall takeaway in terms of camera placement stuff is you you didn't actually identify that the camera placement is inequitable in terms of um, black and Latino residents, uh, you know, having unfair exposure to the cameras due to the placement of the cameras. However, you did find some disparities that the city needs to take a closer look at. Is that, is that an accurate way to put it? That like you found some potential equity issues with the camera placement. And so therefore it's important for the city to investigate that and find out you know, whether these cameras are unfairly placed. That, uh, is, that, is that an accurate way to put it? Well, you know, so if you were looking at just um, overall how many cameras are present in, uh, um, just geographically, then yes, that would be an accurate way to put it. But then, you know, every camera operates a little bit differently. It depends on, uh, you know, the, its ticketing rate depends on where it's placed, sort of what's happening in the uh, immediate area, what the infrastructure um, looks like, so what the roadway looks like. So, for example, one of the things we found is... Um, the cameras that enforce five lanes tend to issue a lot more tickets um, than others. So some cameras, you know, the majority of cameras enforce two or three lanes for the red light cameras. There are some that enforce four and five lanes. Um, and those tend to be, say, in, in uh, majority Black and majority Hispanic areas. So, you know, there are other things that, that are um, uh, also likely going on, so that... Um, um, you know, just on the basis of what type of um, roads are mostly present in these areas um, and which ones the city chose um, to instrument. Um, so, so you're correct that on aggregates, it doesn't look like there are more cameras in uh, majority black or majority Hispanic areas, but um, you know, the number of tickets that are being issued are, you know, are dependent on which specific location uh, got instrumented. So, um, so there, you know, there are other things to also uh, uh, take, take a look at. And I would also add, I mean, one of the, and you'll see in the final report, and those models are particularly important because although we can't fully explain the number of tickets, we do look at some of the attributes in terms of the built environment and things like proximity to supermarkets, 
-hmm. So areas that have uh, fewer supermarkets uh, also are, you know, if you have fewer food supermarkets, then they're, 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 that's, that's um, you know, associated with uh, more tickets, right? And so that's, that's an exposure issue, people driving more, driving further to get to a supermarket. So to just look at the aggregate counts, I think, under kind of explains why we're seeing some of the disparity. You have to kind of look at some of the other uh, contextual factors. Yeah, I mean, something, you know, one, one thing we need to consider is that even if the camera locations are completely fair from a geographic standpoint, that it's not the case that, for example, more cameras in Black neighborhoods are located on multi-lane highways, which encourage speeding. You know, that might be a possibility, but that hasn't been determined yet. But, you know, even if the city analyzes this and finds that the, the camera placements are completely fair in terms of whether the street layout encourages speeding or red light running. That another thing we have to consider that you were hitting on here is socioeconomic factors that um, may, might cause black and Latino residents to have more exposure to cameras. That um, while car ownership may be lower among those groups, car owner, people who do own cars may tend to spend more time behind the wheel um, especially during the pandemic because of uh, things like you said, like retail deserts where people have to cover more ground to get errands done. Um, so that might have, give them an incentive to drive faster. Um, issues like uh, it looks like more Chicagoans of color work uh, jobs, that, jobs that involve driving like delivery or ride hail and uh, things like subpar transit access street crime, things that might make someone feel that they need to take a car to, to do an essential trip rather than walking, biking, or taking transit. So, um, and even if we just, found, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I just want uh, just to qualify something you said. It's, I don't know that it, that I would argue that um, the, the built environment would cause people to drive faster. I mean, we were looking at both speed and red light. Right, and so when I was referring to the um, chain stores or grocery stores approximate, right, we were also looking at the red lights. And so, uh, yeah, it's not just an issue of, you know, people speeding. You're saying it's not just an issue of people speeding in-, in Yeah, because I think what you said is, well, you, you, you qualified what I was saying and said, well, these, you know, the, some of the built environment factors would um, perhaps create a, an environment in which, you know, it, it allows people or causes people to speed more. And I, and I was saying, well, the, the models weren't just about speeding, they were also about the number of red light tickets, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so I was just qualifying that. All right. And uh, just a second here. So, and, and even if we were going from the assumption that the camera placement is completely fair, um, so you guys found, you know, even, even if the camera placement is not inequitable, which, which remains to be seen, like you said, the city needs to study that more closely, but um, you found that the, the, fee, the fines, the tickets and additional fees, things like late charges, booting fees and impoundment charges, um, are really affecting people differently. Um, 
So people of different income levels, which is regressive. So um, you said over four years, more than 1% of annual aggregate household income is going to pay camera ticket fines and fees in some areas of the city. Economic burdens follows, economic burden follows a strict, a stark racial pattern, even after accounting for household income and the number of tickets issued. Um, you said low-income Chicagoans were three times as likely to accrue additional fees than upper-income residents. So, um, you know, whether or not whether or not it's the driver's fault that they're getting these tickets, whether whether the playing field is level in that sense, it's clear that in the past the playing field has not been level from an economic standpoint. That um, you know the tickets are a hundred dollars for people making. Uh, people speeding at 10 miles an hour or more, $35 for people speeding by six to, uh, sorry, 100 for 11 miles an hour or more, um, $35 for six to 10 mile per hour infractions, and it's $100 for red light running as well, I think. So um, um, just a second here. So, uh, but we need to, we need to address the economic um, regressiveness that's going on here. Um, so, you know, it's not good if we've got something that impacts Black and Latino residents much more than um, other residents and poor people and working class people more than affluent people. So um, let's look at some of the recommendations you folks made to uh, make the program more equitable from a financial standpoint. Regarding fines and fees, reduce base fines commensurate with risk of harm, introduce late fee caps, stop doubling of fines as penalties for late payment, implement a statute of limitations for non-payment, scale fines and fees by ability to pay, scale fines and fees based on the number of infractions, introduce a graduated pricing structure for red light violations comparable to speed violations, and then a, a couple other things that people have thrown out there is the possibility of diversion programs like traffic school or uh, restorative justice programs where people might meet with a community group and you know perhaps talk with people who've been impacted with traffic violence and just kind of get a, a perspective on the impact that red light running and speeding can have you know things that can have actually make people drive safer rather than just being financially punitive. Um, and, uh, so just a second here. So, so some of these things are in the works. Um, so starting at the end of March, the city is rolling out a program called the clear path relief pilot program where residents making less than $38,640 a year will get 50% off on all traffic fines. So that means if you get a ticket for speeding six to 10 miles over the limit, it'll only cost you $17.50, which uh, is less than half the average cost of a tank of gas. And then 11 mile per hour plus speeding tickets or red light tickets would cost $50. Um, so to me, it seems like that's a step in the right direction towards making the program more financially equitable. Another thing that's happening in March is low-income residents will, have, will only have to pay the tickets they've received in the past three years with the late penalties, penalties waived, all of their debts such as booting, towing and storage fees for impounded vehicles will be forgiven. And that's a pilot that's gonna run till the end of uh, 2023. 
So, so those are those are some things the city is doing to, to address this. Um, one could argue that, that already a lot of financial harm has been done. Um, ProPublica did their own study of this. And I think they found like over the last 15 years, half a billion dollars worth in tickets have been issued to uh, people in black neighborhoods. So that's a, a pretty staggering stat. Um, uh, so Stacy, do you wanna talk more about like what, what your thoughts were about these, the racial and economic disparities and, and what that says about uh, traffic camera traffic camera programs. I mean, one argument for doing traffic camera programs is like, unlike police officers, they don't discriminate by race. You know, a traffic camera is not, if it sees a, a white motorist running a red light, it's not less likely to issue the ticket than if in the same location, it's a black motorist doing it. But um, as you discussed with ProPublica, there, there are still racial equity issues involved, like the findings show that um, even, even automated enforcement does not perfectly address racial equity issues. Yeah. Stacey, you want to uh, talk a little bit more yeah, about that? Yeah, no, I think there, yeah, that's, that's correct. I think um, automated enforcement is not necessarily the remedy for uh, the various ways in which the kind of racial inequities manifest, right? And so there is a conversation around the taking police out of traffic enforcement, which is an important uh, conversation to have and an important action to enforce. Um, but replacing police with automated enforcement um, doesn't, it, it may not in, it mitigate kind of the inequities because inequities can show up in other ways, right? Mm -hmm. And what I was trying to argue, what we were trying to argue is that the inequities, if they show up through um, economic burden and the system is as it is currently, it means that poor people are being punished for um, essentially for being poor because they, without being able to pay, this tickets then double. So if you can't pay the original, it doubles, and it goes into the swirl in which you ticket your car can be booted, and uh, you know then these scoff laws can be invoked so that you're. Uh, you, you can't work for the city if you happen to. You can't drive uh, any of the ride share. So there's a there's a vicious cycle with this, uh, including the, the debt. But that, to me, if you just focus on the the trajectory for poor people, is problematic. But then you what the city hasn't done is looked at the repeat offenders that can pay. If you're able to pay your way out, if you you can have as many tickets as you can pay for, right? So right. if you're low income and you get a ticket and it goes into this process, uh, you're, you're caught in that process. Whereas you can be upper income and pay for each ticket and there's no penalty for that. Um, so that is inherently structurally inequitable. But it's also, I mean, I appreciate that the city is trying to do something, but I would, I would also, when you mentioned like 38% for the clear, PATH program, I mean, at 38%, $38,000, that's a fairly low, uh, a very low income uh, person that would qualify for that, right? If we say that, yeah, the, if we look at the city's median income or even, you know, $38,000 is somewhere between 50% 
of the area median income and 60% of the area median income. Because the median income for the city is like $65,000. So exactly who would qualify for this program and how, what proportion of folks would qualify for a program when the threshold is 38,000. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it's important to, to implement these types of programs, but it's also important to look at who's captured or excluded from uh, the thresholds that get uh, uh, implemented, right? Um, so in terms of the, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, so 38,000, that's, that's the equivalent of making someone working full-time making $19 an hour. So I think that's, I don't think you have to go too much higher than that until that's considered a, a middle-class income. Well, no, I mean, so I'm looking at the, the, the table of income limits for April, 2021 and a very low income limit. This is 50% of median income is 32,000. 60% okay. of the median income is 39,000. So it's somewhere in between there, right? The 32 and 39. Those are considered very low income. That's not middle. I mean, I don't think anybody would assume living in Chicago that that's a middle income. Uh, you know, we can say $19, $15, 20, whatever it is per hour, it's, it's not in terms of one's quality of life and ability to pay. That's what it comes down to. Do you have the resources to pay this and pay your other um, you know, other, other fee, I mean, sorry, other, um, uh, bills and, and mm -hmm. so, forth. so I think, at a, you know, I think at a very, um, kind of fundamental level, that's what it comes down to. Do you have to trade off buying groceries and, 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 you know, medical, uh, needs to pay these tickets and, and so forth. So that, that's something that we, we really can think we should be thinking more about in terms of the recommendations that we offer. I mean, Eliminating fees. Why, why do we need fees at all? Mm -hmm. If the issue here is safety, and if the issue is there's a fine for, um, for you know, essentially breaking the law for not ab abiding by the, uh, the, the, the regulations, the traffic regulations, you're fined for that. Right. And there's some people that can pay the fine and there's some people that can't. But mm -hmm. then why are there, what are the fees doing in terms of improving safety conditions? It's to me that, that it's incongruent. So it, you know, it's not clear that we need to have additional fees. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, and so then we have a number of recommendations that are attached to that, reducing the you know the um, the uh, I'm sorry, uh, introducing late fee caps, so you can't just continuously increase. So it doubles the first time and then continues to increase. Right. That that is just fundamentally uh, punitive, and there's no correlation between that and safety. Again, if we go back to the fundamental purpose of this, if we accept that as the premise, and if we accept that as actually being an effective, the cameras being an effective mechanism for that, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't align with the pricing structure. So, yeah, I mean, one thing that happened in Illinois within the last few years, partly in response to a ProPublica series, um, looking at the equity effects of, equity effects of Chicago's uh, fine and fee systems, is they banned the suspension of driver's license for non-moving violations because, um, as they outlined, that create can create a vicious cycle where, you know, someone has tickets to pay, they lose their license, they have more trouble getting to work to make the money to pay those tickets. So that was that was a good strategy from an equity yeah. standpoint. Um, so what you're arguing is that 
you know, we might consider raising the income threshold for the half off traffic fines. Um, so that's one of the arguments. I'm arguing, we're also arguing for um, eliminating fees mm -hmm. and perhaps eliminating the, um, you know, why only non-moving violations? Perhaps, uh, you know, should drivers lose their license if they, if it's, um, if the, if the risk of harm for the violation is, is pretty minimal, um, how do we make that distinction between accumulating traffic tickets or making a right on red in which the literature shows is not a particularly harmful uh, uh, transgression, I guess. So yeah, I would, I would argue for those as well. So your findings, your research has showed that people making right turns on red without stopping is not particularly causing serious injury. I will turn that to my colleague, my, our research, <laughs> but the literature has showed, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think, I know you that, know, that's been a, a move, that's been a, a lot of people have been arguing for banning right on red in order to improve safety. Uh, you know, some cities already do that. Yeah, yeah, I think there are two things. One is just in the uh, general, um, this background research that we looked at, uh, you know, those types of movements, um, you know, the number of crashes that happen as a result are few, but when the crashes do happen and uh, when there's a pedestrian or a bicyclist and, you know, the consequences can be quite severe. So there's two things. They might not happen that frequently, but when they do happen, they could be, um, you know, their consequences can be quite severe. Um, For example, so, we, sorry, go on. So, so I, I guess, you know, we, we do have the camera feeds and under what conditions this um, uh, right turn on red is happening. Um, and the city, um, you know, can sort of think about, uh, well, if it's an area that has, say, no pedestrians and within the camera's view, there are no pedestrians and, the, you know, the penalty can be, Different from when there are pedestrians, and that, you know, I know it creates, um, you know, some additional work, some additional efforts to, uh, to take a look at this. But um, let's say you are at a, a freeway entrance ramp, and it's generally there are no people there, um, and people have slowed down sufficiently. Uh, I mean, it's not right when they make the stop that they actually look at their surrounding. They're as they are driving up, they may be looking. Um, and if it's an area that there are no pedestrians in, then maybe you know the consequences shouldn't be as severe. Uh, but uh, but as I said, uh, you know, there's a mix of there are two things happening here. Uh, so if a crash does happen, it can be quite severe, even if it, it does not um, happen very frequently. Um, and you know, I just wanted to comment one thing on um, something you raised earlier about this technology and um, the impact. Um, that it's race neutral, and I, I, I guess you know on a, you know once installed at a specific location, the camera. Okay. I, you know, I, I, I didn't say the technology is race neutral, but that's that was something yeah. that that was a little bit strange about the ProPublica report. Is they they're uh, uh, let's see how they put it. Um, their, their report was titled Chicago's quote race neutral unquote traffic cameras ticket black and Latino drivers the most. And uh, anyway, 
I, they, they said that no one actually, no one in Chicago actually called the cameras race neutral. Um, but anyway, yeah, but I think, you know, but there's a, yeah, there is a general, um, I think there, there have been some articles that have uh, been written arguing that cameras, you know, are a solution to avoiding this uh, encounter with police. Um, but, you know, still there might be inequities, right? Because, you know, the, once the camera is placed, it might not be looking at um, race specifically, and you know, it would not be. But the decision to place, where to place them, sort of, the, is still made by humans, and it's um, you know there might be uh, uh, biases there. So the infrastructure itself has been in place for you know due to um, different decisions that have been uh, made by humans. So you know they operate within the context within all these other decisions that have been made by humans, by political considerations and, and um, you know, technical considerations. So um, even though they might be race neutral, once you put them in a particular location, there's a host of decisions that are made outside of that that might not make them um, neutral in the way that we expect. Yeah, I mean, things we have to consider when implementing programs like this is that uh, communities of color were disproportionately impacted by 20th century car-centric urban planning. Um, you know, uh, one reason why black neighborhoods are more likely to be in proximity to freeway ramps and have those, uh, you know, you guys identified that red light cameras near freeway uh, ramps tended to have issue more tickets is because of racist 20th century planning where they, um, you know, didn't have much regard for running expressways through communities of color. Sometimes that was actually intentionally done to displace people. So um, th those are things we have to consider. Um, so just to, you know, one th more thing I wanted to talk about. Um, yeah, you know, I feel like there's kind of a paradox with automated traffic cameras is that, you know, as you found, they seem to be pretty effective for improving safety. Um, and, Transportation advocates, traffic safety advocates like the National Association of City Transportation Officials, NACTO, have called for using revenue from traffic cameras to do safe streets improvements that um, encourage people to drive at safe speeds, things like road diets, converting excess lanes of roads um, so drivers are less likely to speed. But um, the problem with that strategy and, you know, the the, sort of the essential issue with traffic cameras is that they do make money for the city. And with a city like Chicago, you know, we've, we've got all this debt we're trying to overcome. So, you know, it would probably be a hard sell getting, getting the city to take all the revenue from the cameras and use them for safe, safe street design projects. Um, things like adding pedestrian islands, sidewalk bump outs, speed humps, wider sidewalks, bike lanes. Um, so, I mean, it's, you know, of all the different ways you can improve safety, this is one that generates revenue for the city. So that makes it possibly more appealing to city officials than spending money to do infrastructure changes. So, um, you know, Obai Reed from Equiticity, the, uh, Mobility Justice Group, he's called for gradually phasing out all the traffic cameras and replacing them with similarly effective um, road redesigns. And uh, 
using the, the, the revenue from the cameras to help pay for those road redesigns. Um, have you, do you guys have any thoughts about like the feasibility of replacing cameras, automatic traffic cameras with uh, road redesigns as a safety strategy? Is that something you discussed I'll, I'll in your start. report? Yeah, I don't, um, I don't know if we say it explicitly, uh, but I would start with the, in noting that this makes a lot of money for the city, um, it does highlight the disincentive for a certain type of change from the city, right? Um, as you said, it's a hard sell, but it shouldn't be a hard sell because the fact that it's making a lot of money and it's making a lot of money from residents from low-income areas is fundamentally problematic and inequitable. Um, and it, this the purpose, again, going back to the purpose of the cameras isn't to make money, but to improve safety. So the degree to which it's doing that, then it's a reasonable and feasible and effective tool. But the, the, the revenue generation, I know it's fanciful to, to even say this, but that, that shouldn't be the motivation or uh, factor too deeply into the decision. Mm -hmm. um, it also costs the city money, right? And that's why some cities have eliminated cameras, right? We, these are all managed and monitored by private firms that get paid from the city. So it's not, it's not a, a, an economically neutral endeavor. They're making money on top of that, but they also have to pay for collections for people that can't pay. Uh, you know, there's a whole towing system. There, there are mm -hmm. a myriad of ways in which the city actually spends money. It doesn't, they do more than break even. So they make money on it, but there's, uh -huh. they're spending money as well, right? Um, and yeah, I, so I think the, the taking the monetary component out as a motivation I, that that I think is essential, even though it's not so pragmatic. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, just one other thing I would add is that one thing that complicates the issue, the the concept of replacing the cameras with street redesigns, is that in my experience, a lot of the same people who've been really vocal again that the cameras are unfair to drivers are also dead set against projects that make it somewhat less convenient to drive. Um, for example, Leslie Harrison, who's uh, the alderman of a South Lakefront ward, Fifth Ward, um, she was very strong. She's been an outspoken opponent of traffic cameras, but um, also the city of Chicago, uh, CDOT proposed doing a road diet on Stony Island Avenue, which is an eight lane road that runs across the south side. And uh, they would, have, they would have taken two of those lanes and turned them into protected bike lanes. And Harrison and another alderman, Michelle Harris, wouldn't let them do it. And uh, a couple of years after they blocked that project, um, two cyclists were struck, a guy named Luster Jackson and another person named Lee Llewellyn. So, I mean, I, I just sort of think those incidents, that, that scenario just sort of shows you the complication of that it's not, it's not that easy to replace traffic cameras with uh, safe street designs. You know, people are afraid that if you do road diets, that'll cause traffic jams. So um, what, what would you folks like to see happen going forward? Like what, what do you think the best approaches are for 
improving traffic safety in Chicago and other cities without having an unfairly punitive system that particularly hurts people of color and low-income people? Cameras are one of the things that you can consider, and uh, perhaps they are not, you know, they're not for every location, but in some contexts they might work quite well. Um, but um, you know, just trying to balance uh, this, uh, so this monetary fines that are associated with them with their safety benefits, I think, is important. And as Stacy noted earlier, I think you know somewhere where the city can start is um, you know by uh, getting rid of um, or significantly reducing uh, the fees associated with them. Um, and you know, in addition to the fees, I think you know every if you add in um, like to qualify for, say, if it's income-based, to qualify, there's additional paperwork you might have to provide and other barriers that come into play uh, that, you know, would limit the number of people who can participate in um, this, uh, this, this program. So I think making it as easy as possible and as straightforward as possible uh, uh, to residents uh, to um, you know, either re- reduce existing fees or to eliminate uh, fees going forward, I think would be important. Um, and uh, in terms of the cameras, I think one of the things that the, ca- the city has um, put in place is cap in terms of how many, in regards to the, the speed cameras, this cap that they have uh, about um, how many of them can be instrumented. Uh, I think that's good. Um, and when uh, they're below that 20% cap that they have set. Um, and, and then this constant monitoring as to whether or not they're effective, um, you know, thinking about whether speed is really the culprit when a location is flagged as um, sort of a, high, uh, a high crash area or uh, an area that, that needs to be instrumented. I, I think that's important. So doing more in-depth studies um, and then just being willing to modify, uh, you know, you know, but either uh, sort of a placement, um, turning cameras off when they are deemed not to work very well, and um, uh, just looking at the decision making overall that goes into uh, the placement of cameras, I think is important. You know, I think in terms of the pricing, I think there are models to, and and a strong rationale for thinking more about a progressive um, pricing structure. And I'm not suggesting necessarily that we use just income-based, right, as they have in some, uh, you know, I don't know, in Finland, in which the very wealthy pay a, 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 what seems hefty to a, what, to a non-wealthy person. But I would, I think in the report, what we argue is using um, a progressive system that would take into account multiple things, the number of infractions, mm-hmm. ability to pay, as well as maybe the severity of or potential severity of of the you know of the transgression of the of the um the violation right if you put all of those into play as part of the whatever that penalty system is i think it would it would create a more kind of uh, potentially create a more equitable um and or at least fair <laughs> uh, uh, uh pricing structure have you come across any other cities that are best practices in terms of implementing mm-hmm. traffic cameras in a, in a way that really takes into account racial and economic issues? That's a very good question. No, quite honestly, and not in the U.S. I think it's more of the, the examples that I recall are outside of the U.S. Um, they're 
typically in more racially homogeneous areas, but they're looking at the class inequalities. Um, and yeah, so I, I'd have to think more about that. But I, I think the examples that I read most about are in like Sweden and Finland and some other countries, such more social democratic countries uh, that have a very strict kind of um, uh, uh, both a scaling mechanism. So it's very progressive. You, you were talking about Finland earlier. So that's the place where they literally write $60,000 tickets to millionaires. So it'd be interesting to see if we were to do something like that in, in Chicago, you know, not only giving, making the tickets much cheaper for lower income folks, but like, you know, if Ken Griffin gets caught speeding by 11 miles an hour, are we going to give him a $75,000 speeding ticket? Cause he's a billionaire. Yeah. Um, interesting ideas. All right. Well, I think we covered a lot of ground here. Anything else you want to tell me about your study or about automated enforcement in Chicago and citywide, uh, countrywide, nationwide? Thank you for this. No, no, I just say thank you for uh, giving us this time and sort of spending, um, uh, you know, your detailed read of, of, of our preliminary study, at least. And the full study is coming out very soon. All right. Well, I'll look forward to yeah. that. <laughs> And I also wanted to echo what Stacy just said. Yeah, thank you for uh, getting, uh, you know, talking to us and uh, you know, closely reading the executive summary. Do you think you folks will be doing more research along these lines? Well, I hope so, yeah, maybe. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see what the city does with your findings and whether you know, we, we really need to see them take a closer analysis of uh, the camera locations and also what they can do to make the penalties more equitable. Yeah, indeed. Right. Well, thanks right. again. Thank you. Good yeah. talking with you. Yeah, good talking to you as well. Thank you. Oh, catch yourself a bite.